Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Welcome back to All Fired Up. I cannot wait to bring you this week's conversation because it has been a long time coming. I have a bit of a, a pet interest in issues that affect women's health and particularly reproductive health and hormonal health for women. I guess because I am one, <laughs> a woman that is, and I have hormones too and I've had issues too in that area. So it is a little bit personal for me, but also just how many clients I see who are suffering or wondering just what the hell is going on with their bodies hormonally, reproductively, anything to do with periods, a lot of polycystic ovarian stuff. So I do see a lot of people with this issue and, you know, have been through stuff myself. So, and I've just had an absolute gutful of hearing from doctors and health professionals that the magic pill for anything to do with being female is to lose some weight and everything will be okay, right? Lose some weight and the PCOS will go away or lose some weight and you'll get pregnant for sure. Lose some weight and you won't be depressed because of your thyroid anymore. It really pisses me off because we live in diet culture and I just know, A, that weight loss is really difficult when you struggle with issues like that. B, even if you can achieve weight loss, it doesn't bloody well last. And C, there's so much damage done along the way. And we're not even remembering that, of course, it doesn't really even quote unquote, work in fixing all of this stuff. So for a long time, I've been wanting to bring someone on the show to really talk us through this whole kind of issue. And I have found the most wonderful person. Her name is Terrell Brewer, and she is an anti-diet dietitian, and she's an expert in polycystic ovarian syndrome and reproductive health and women's health in general. And we are lucky enough to have her here in Australia, educating health professionals in this area about non-diet and weight neutral approaches to looking after women. So without further ado, I'm going to give you this incredible conversation. For most of it, I will admit I was sitting back just learning because she just has so much knowledge and it was a really interesting conversation. So here is me and Terrell. So Terrell, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi Louise, thanks for asking me. So what's firing you up? What fires me up is a woman who saw me this week who came from a reproductive gynecologist I know really well and said, she said if I lose 20 kilos, I might be able to get a bit more treatment. And that's not unusual. So that's what fires me up. Oh, gosh, because you're a dietitian and you're a non-diet dietitian. Yep, that's right. And you help women with reproductive health is that a specialty of yours yes it is god and then you know is like being told just to just to yeah just magically drop 20 kilos and everything's going to be fine yeah and often with people's good intentions but they kind of a lot of them do know other knowledge now but they just don't believe in it really (laughs) so so I've been educating them for a long time but they can't resist (laughs) yeah yeah so these are like the reproductive health professionals that you help and these are the ones I know yeah and they still do it 
Yeah, but the difference is that they know what how I will deal with it. Yeah. And it doesn't it they let me do what I would like to do and how I work and they respect that. Mm. How do you respond to a woman sitting in front of you just has just said that? Well, I will say let's talk a whole lot more about this. I understand where it's coming from. You've got a great specialist in reproductive health, but let's have a real chat about what it really actually means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not that simple for, well, most people who have been told that they need to lose weight for one reason or another. No, it doesn't have to be the focus at all and it's not the primary focus in any way. Mm. It must be such a relief for people to hear that from you after probably hearing weight loss, weight loss, weight loss from everybody else. Yeah. And then to actually sit down and get asked questions and be sort of woken up to there might be more to the story than this. That must, yeah, that's amazing. I think very few people ever asked their experience, their thoughts about their health and weight, their own theories about it all and what they've learned over their lifestyle or what they think about it. Someone can have already lost 20 kilos, but it won't change the response. Mm, yeah. they, don't even, they don't have to, but what I mean is nobody's ever actually asked them. Oh, that's, yeah, you're so right. There's no, there's so little interest in people's stories of what's actually been going on for them. That's right. Just the assumption is there and therefore the advice flows out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the advice, which is lose weight. We don't know how, (laughs) and we certainly don't want to hear that you've tried and it hasn't worked. Yeah. Or that you're already looking after yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more complex, isn't it? Because you work quite a bit with people with PCOS, with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Is that right? Yes, that's where my special interest has come from. Mm -hmm. I was working at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne about, I don't know, over 15 years ago Mm. when the very first studies linking this weird condition that dietitians had never been trained in to something to do with insulin resistance were published. And all I could think was, oh my God, you mean 20%, up to 20% of women have a condition that's affecting so much their fertility and their hormones and it's related to insulin. That's a Mm. massive shift in thinking and understanding and knowledge. And sure enough, it all just started to evolve from there. Before that, women were just told to lose weight and go on the pill or they were told that they would probably never have children. So it was very, very simple, prescriptive and very dominated by the focus on weight. It was basically, well, it's because you've gained weight that you're causing this. Mm. The the symptoms can only be treated. So people knew there was some link between fertility and weight, but it was very not understood. There was Mm. no mechanism or understanding of it at all. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying 15 years ago. That's so recent. This is all really recent. So it's not often a dietitian gets an opportunity to be in the right spot at the right time when a whole different context arises. Mm. So it's a little bit like discovering the gut at the moment and it kind of takes off in all sorts of directions until it gets clearer. But it meant that you were, I was working in a situation where there was no evidence, direct evidence or background or guidelines. So all that Mm. had to be done through a lot of common sense at the time 
and evolution of those kind of things over the and since then it's been a massive explosion in research Mm. and but what's interesting is that the original guidelines that I was part of developing back then are actually still the guidelines I use and that hang in with all the evidence-based guidelines for PCOS. Okay so can we start with what PCOS actually is? Yeah so polycystic ovary syndrome is a bad name for a collection of symptoms. (laughs) 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 They're not even cysts on the ovaries, they're little immature follicles. Mm -hmm. So it, it covers a range of symptoms that come under reproductive symptoms androgen symptoms which is related to testosterone and so forth Mm -hmm. and then there's the whole metabolic side of it the insulin resistance metabolic syndrome side of it which isn't actually diagnostic but it's in there Mm -hmm. and then there's a whole lot of symptoms related to mood and body image disturbance potential for eating disorders and psychosexual concerns and so forth which aren't actually diagnosis okay the way so I think it sounds it, like there's a whole cluster of yeah interrelated symptoms and systems that are involved right. in this idea of polycystic yeah. ovarian syndrome. syndrome. Right. Yeah, okay. That's right. So the shift now is that it's a lifetime condition mm-hmm. so that turns up in like early puberty for girls that gain weight very early or have problems with insulin resistance at a young age. Okay. And then you'll have all the menstrual and reproductive issues during those years and mood disorders and so forth. And then the risk of sort of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, those type of things later in life. So it's a lifetime tendency. But you're talking about something that affects the actual numbers, they tend to change, that 15 to 20% of women Mm. in some way. That is such a huge statistic. That's like one in five women. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I don't think of it as a disease. No. I think of it as as part of the spectrum of normal human physiological difference, if you like. Yeah, of femaleness. Yeah, that's right. And I think there is a lot to be said for if you think back into earlier times when people worked more in fields and ate differently and lived differently, these are often the women who would have survived the famine and had children in those circumstances why the skinny people died. Interesting, yeah. So biologically there's an argument why it's not such a terrible thing at all. Yeah, it's actually adaptive in some ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, it does sort of make sense, isn't it? If something in someone's body is making you hold on to weight. If it's not just weight, it's actually muscle tissue and good strong bones. Wow. So it's actually sometimes it's about having just a bigger, heavier body, but it's not mm. fat. It's not, we're not talking, no. it's no. a different shape. Sure, there can be an apple shape and a different mm. distribution of fat, but we're not saying this is different to, to just it's a fat tissue problem. Yeah, we're talking about larger people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they usually come from families where there are larger people mm-hmm. or, or where people gain weight a bit easier or where there's some diabetes. Not always, but often. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking to make a diagnosis, it's not always clear because sometimes people could 
just have a few symptoms. Sometimes people can have a whole lot of symptoms. Sometimes they have more symptoms when they're not living as healthily. Mm -hmm. So it can change. But what we look for, there's two out of three conditions that people need to meet to actually get the diagnosis. So one of them is having the ultrasound picture of polycystic ovaries, small follicles on the ovaries on an ultrasound. Yeah. That one you're not going to do in usually in an adolescence because you don't tend to give those sort of ultrasounds to adolescents. Mm. But also about 25% of women will have that picture on an ultrasound, but they won't all have PCOS. So people get confused between PCO, which is polycystic ovaries, the ultrasound picture, and PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is the syndrome. Right. So that's one factor. Mm-hmm. The next factor is the related to the ovulation menstruation, reproductive issues. So any kind of menstruation issues like missing periods or heavy periods, painful periods, any type of abnormality from what you would normally expect would kind of ring a bell in your head. So during adolescence, that can be quite common and it will normally settle down, but in sometimes it doesn't settle down. The risk then is that it's young girls who are experiencing problems with their periods are often just put on the pill. And if you put on the pill to regulate your hormones for the next 10 years, you're not really going to be aware that there is this underlying condition as well, possibly. Yeah. I've had many clients uh, have that exact problem. Yeah. It's such a convenient treatment, isn't it? To put a girl with heavy periods, irregular periods on the pill to make it look easier. Yeah. And that's appropriate, a lot of, you know, but it's keeping in the back of your mind other possibilities as well. And the next part of that, of course, is ovulation concerns and fertility concerns Mm -hmm. because the hormonal variation means that the normal cycle in a menstrual cycle where an egg, hormones build up and an egg is released and then progesterone is produced until you run into a period, that gets mistimed and you don't get the release of mature eggs at the right time. So you end up with these little immature follicles. Mm -hmm. So fertility can be an issue, but it's not a primary infertility. It's more, it's like a secondary infertility that can be treated. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it may need treatment for some women, but you certainly can't use it as contraception. (laughs) (laughs) so and it doesn't mean you can't get pregnant gosh you know there's you are you are busting myths left right and center (laughs) so many poor women particularly it was worse while ago I think used to be just told oh well you probably won't be able to have babies yeah absolutely yeah which is so unfair and then the next thing you're looking for is the androgen side of it so that's the all women have testosterone in their blood but women with PCOS have more free-floating testosterone mm-hmm. than others. And it's not at the level of men. It's not anything like that. But it's related to changes in sex hormone binding globulin in the liver, which binds insulin. Anyway, like I said, <laughs> all I say, we're learning how to connect everything in the body to everything else. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, but you can look on a blood test to look at what they call the free androgen index to look at these levels of testosterone. And the symptoms that can go along with that are hirsute, so hair in funny places on the female body. Yeah. 
and things like acne. Mm-hmm. And they used to call it male pattern, but I think they've finally changed it to call it female pattern hair loss. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> the poor women, they're even told they've got male pattern balding. So wow. it's like it can happen like that. Yeah. So those that the ultrasound picture, the reproductive issues and the androgens are the three parts and you need to fit two out of three criteria. I see. Yeah, yeah. But the other symptoms that go along with it the metabolic genetic issues around diabetes and cholesterol and so forth, the weight issues, mm-hmm. and then the emotional, the very high incidence of depression and anxiety, much higher than the population norm that's actually related to their hormones. Right, so it's and a hormonally then, driven mood and anxiety yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a part of it is driven by their hormones and that's often missed. So they mm. might be having treatment for anxiety or depression, mm. but nobody's taking into account the biological side of it. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say, because I think, you know, when you say 20% of people with PCOS yeah. and, but I reckon a really high percentage of my clients, yeah. female clients have PCOS or turn out yeah. to have PCOS. And yeah. yeah, it's always interesting to look at that intersection with depression and anxiety. Yep. So it's an independent risk factor for body image concerns and eating disorders. Not surprising. No, not surprising Mm. for a lot Mm. of reasons. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think women in general are vulnerable. Exactly. My goodness, women facing these kinds of issues are very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a microcosm of all the issues all packaged together. Yeah. So the hormonal variations cause appetite problems, there's mm-hmm. the lifetime of dieting, there's all yeah. the, the meaning of hormones, fertility, menstruation and so forth. So it becomes quite complex. Yeah. But one of the things I need to say, this is the other thing that gets me, mm. is that 40% of women with PCOS aren't overweight. Yeah. So... When you Google PCOS, you'll often see the worst case scenario in terms of what society thinks is the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. But that misses the experience of other women with PCOS. So you can be any weight, shape and size and have PCOS. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a stereotype that only larger women have PCOS. Exactly. Exactly. But even thinner women with PCOS have got changes where I think something like 90, 95% have some indicators of metabolic tendencies or a slight change in fat tissue distribution on the body. So even thinner women with PCOS can still be vulnerable for things like gestational diabetes or Mm. cholesterol issues, that type of thing. We never hear that, do we? No. And so they're often very neglected, but also they're looking at different phenotypes they're proposing four at the moment so this Mm -hmm. is the problem when you have a condition based only on the external symptoms which is not linked at all to what's actually happening in the body sometimes so sometimes thinner women have worse issues with their androgens in terms of hair yeah but they may have less of the metabolic side of it Mm. so some women have a few symptoms some women have lots of symptoms and they're different for every woman yeah 
Yeah. No wonder it's difficult to diagnose and to help. (laughs) Exactly. And you may not always get a clear diagnosis. How is it you've ran yeah. through? Some yeah, of so a mixture of ultrasound and yeah. blood tests and symptoms. Right, yeah. yeah. So you really need the ultrasound and blood tests alongside not just symptomatic stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. It's getting oh. a GP to actually really think it through and have a proper look at it all. The Gene Hales website in Melbourne. Yeah. They have a whole lot of tools there for GPs and they have the evidence-based guidelines. So they have guidelines on diagnosis and something that people can download from there. Oh, that's great. That's a great resource. We'll definitely make sure those are in the show notes. Yeah. So that's really useful. Yeah. But it, it's, I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's looking beyond the body that is yeah. sitting in the chair in front of you and having exactly. a look at what is actually going on for that human. Exactly. You have to look at it in the big picture Mm. like that. Mm. And of course, because we divide the body into all these specialist little bits, people get all caught up between, do I need to see a gynecologist, an endocrinologist, a dietitian, a dermatologist, a psychologist. So it can be a confusing journey. Yeah. Who would you say is the first port of call if someone's concerned? A GP? Yeah, a GP. And you can take along some, you know, guidelines or some information if you want to just to talk it through with them, Mm. whether it's possible or not. You have to be off the pill for at least, I think it's two months. Okay. um, To be able to be diagnosed. Yeah. So that's often an issue for women who don't particularly want to come off the pill, but that's something they can talk through. And then it really depends what the issues are and what you're needing help with. Yeah, so then you're talking about targeting the actual symptoms or difficulties that are representative of your condition. Yeah, and and where you're at in your life cycle and what you actually need at the moment. Yeah, because, I mean, my clients with PCOS or, you know, I mean, I'm talking to you today because I had more than one person email and just asked to talk about polycystic stuff. Yeah. And all of the people that emailed said, all my clients in the past have said, basically, I've been diagnosed with PCOS and I've been told to lose weight and that will fix it. (laughs) it. Yeah. So that's the way, that's basically what's been happening for a long, 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 long time. And it's Mm. only just, it's slowly beginning to change. Mm. But I still find that most people aren't being given the basic lifestyle and health advice that in all the guidelines it underlies all other treatments right so in the perfect world women would be given good education and understanding and advice about what is the number one therapy for their condition which is the health and lifestyle advice right health and lifestyle advice in diet culture means lose weight yes but that's not what i'm talking about (laughs) 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 so what are you talking about when you say like health and lifestyle advice is like the foundation yes Mm. exactly and it underlies all other treatments so what kinds of things are you talking about there so the way I put it is firstly a really a good understanding of peacock costs Mm. of your hormones and a reframing of how we understand things So putting it in, look, if you combine people's genetics with the world we're living in at the moment, then there can be this genetic tendency towards insulin resistance. 
Yeah. And that an insulin's a growth hormone, it doesn't just control blood sugars. Okay. So and the way I put it is that look, the ovaries and the liver aren't resisting the insulin. So they get too much because the rest of the body is resisting insulin and the body pumps out more to make up for it. Yeah. And then that goes on to affect a lot of other appetite hormones, reproductive hormones and so forth. This is really simplistic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other women will have different pathways that are much more androgen focused than the Mm -hmm. insulin side of it. Mm -hmm. But this is the way I can kind of help women to make sense of it. What I'm trying to say is it's, it's not because you gained weight, it's because you had this tendency anyway. Right. We never hear that though. We never hear that. What we hear is that you have gained weight. You have caused yourself insulin resistance. Exactly. And you need to reverse the whole thing by losing weight. You're right. Mm. But it's not, but because when you're talking about as early as precocious puberty and you're talking about, yeah, in for women who really struggle with the metabolic side of it, they might gain 30 or 40 kilos in a couple of years in late adolescence. Yeah, yeah. For no reason. Nothing in particular has changed. But they're not believed. They're not believed. Mm, mm. So what all the quality of life studies show is that the biggest problem with women's experience is that they can't make sense of their own experience and they're not believed. Oh, that's heartbreaking, Mm. isn't it? Yeah. So imagine if your body is changing but you don't seem to be doing anything different to anyone else. In fact, you're extra careful. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense and you're not developing in the same female ways that other people might be or you're developing hair in difficult places or Hmm. how does young women make sense of that? Yeah, well, usually they're dragged off to Weight Watchers by someone. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So I find that around anywhere around 10 or 12 is usually around the Weight Watchers visit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, of course, by the time they come into reproductive treatment, say in their mid to late 20s or early 30s, they might have had 15, 20 years of already trying to diet. Mm. It's difficult to diet for any human. Yep. But when you're insulin resistant. It's really difficult because your body is such a good survivor of starvation. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that, Uh, insulin resistance and how that might be functional? I can't explain. I don't think we know all the mechanisms mm. entirely, but I think of it as imagine insulin is a growth hormone. It helps promote growth and it's turned on at times of growth. So that's why times like adolescence, pregnancy, even menopause, there's a natural change in insulin resistance anyway that helps promote growth. Mm. So that's when it more gets triggered off. But what happens then is that there's a whole cascade of things, but part of it is that the appetite hormones are affected. And so people can get this strange driving appetite. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really difficult to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And if you think in terms of something that promoted growth and human survival, it's eating. Then, mm. then that's driving eating. Mm. And the other part of that is that it does drive some of these things like maybe more sweet cravings or even like pre-diabetes type effects of feeling shaky if you don't eat or Mm. those sorts of things. And often what women will say is that they have this 
really terrible driving appetite. Yeah. That and often if they do go on to metformin, which is a the diabetes drug often used to treat insulin resistance, one of the effects they notice is this, this appetite gets better. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a, a driving appetite and you're trying to diet all the time. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. setting yourself up yeah. for binge eating. Oh, totally. And for thinking like something's terribly wrong because I that's can't. Right. I can't exactly. diet like everyone else can, you know. Exactly. I'm always hungry. I've got no willpower. And yeah. 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 So there's that element of it. And oh. then the other element of it is a lot of tiredness, mood swings, anxiety and depression effects. Mm. Mm. And which, yeah, isn't that a great climate on which to go on a diet? <laughs> <laughs> so you're going on a diet with some major concerns about your body with a driving oh. appetite and with already being prone to some mood issues. This is the worst idea ever. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> and they people tend to have that history of losing 10 kilos, gaining back you know, 15, mm. losing mm. five kilos, gaining back 10, trying mm. really hard, not being able to lose any. And I've seen many larger women who are eating almost nothing and their bodies yeah. are so shut down yeah. that they're living on very little. Yeah, I've had that exact same client, many clients, and they're so frustrated because the doctor or someone is the naturopath, someone's telling them that if they could just, you know, stick to it, they will lose weight and then the PCOS will go. Yeah. They're very vulnerable. Oh, it's horrible. It's really horrible. But how useful to actually understand it. It's amazing because if you give someone another framework to see it through and a rational explanation of what can be happening in their body, it's like a massive relief. Yeah. And a lessening of the guilt and shame. Yeah, which is so important. Yeah. It also opens up the possibility to actually looking at how you can look after yourself exactly. with this condition rather so than next, continuing to chase weight loss which isn't likely yeah. to happen yeah so that I back burner the weight issue for a little while until I've done a lot of this but I talk about you don't have to lose weight to help with insulin resistance wow so that's controversial <laughs> it is controversial isn't it <laughs> i can only say i've seen thousands of women over many years yeah. and i still feel quite confident in this <laughs> yeah so how does that work so that we don't know all the exact theory so you can talk about it from i talk about it from a stabilizing blood sugar swings over the day and appetite over the day with well balanced food mhm So that means just, luckily there's evidence showing no one particular diet actually does help. They're very prone to the high protein or ketogenic diet type. Yeah, I've I've noticed that trend that basically anyone with PCOS should never have a carb again, which Yeah, which is not true. Yeah. It's not true. They may not suit having a lot of really refined, over-processed food all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to get their blood sugars swinging wildly and their insulin requirements increased. Okay, yeah. So we want to stabilize things. We want to spread the food load over the day. So they're not going for hours with nothing and getting too hungry. Yeah. And then when people do eat, we want the food to be satisfying. Great. And that's the essence of it <laughs> with food. Yeah. <laughs> That's not complicated enough. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> that's um that's terribly boring, but it's it fits in really well with mindful eating. Yes, it does. Mm. And then I think the physical activity side of it is really important. Mm-hmm. Not from a burning kilojoules to lose weight perspective at all, mm-hmm. but because physical activity can reduce your insulin resistance, it helps with your mood, it keeps mm. your metabolism working well. Yeah, and that's and in the absence of weight change. Yes, mm. and it helps with prevention of concerns. Yeah. So yeah. It can keep someone well. Yeah. Oh, and it's so buried because this is what when yeah. you earlier were saying it's health and lifestyle yeah. stuff, this is what you're talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, quite apart from so, weight focus. Yeah, this is about health and treatment of a hormonal issue. Yeah. First. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what often happens is that young women will be really active in sport in teenage years and maybe early 20s, but then a whole series of things happen when they hit uni or early workforce where they're out more, eating differently, moving out of home, and they're not as active. Yeah. And that's when this suddenly their hormones can catch up with them. But what Uh people don't appreciate is that they were actually keeping themselves well because they naturally played a lot of sport Mm. for all the years beforehand. Ah, so the exercise was sort of staving off the... Yeah, it's keeping them well. Yeah. 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 Wow. And look, in the fertility groups I was a part of, these intensive groups over many years, it was really clear that very large women who didn't even lose weight who became fitter, Mm. their fertility was, you know, the success rate was a lot higher than any of the medications would induce. So I'm quite sure that the fitness, not fitness, but activity side of it is one of the primary factors in fertility. Mm. Well, it does make sense because physical activity is just really health supportive. Exactly. Just for humans. Exactly. That doesn't mean that everyone has to be fit. No, but we're not talking about excessive fitness Mm because if you become excessively fit, you start to run into the other side of the equation Mm. where your hormones aren't good. So if you think about, I'd say, look, think about cavemen. When was their fertility the best? When they were relaxed, fit? Mm -hmm healthy but not too healthy or too (laughs) controlled or too obsessive (laughs) yeah yeah so it's about balance and not being too extreme yeah because often Mm. women are already doing a lot and they're just told to do more more and more no no they're religiously going to the gym every day but they hate it Mm. what do you think about you know this new trend about now women have to maintain a healthy body weight if they're trying to get pregnant and that's not just PCOS women they're talking about all women like there there just seems to be so much pressure on women now to be really thin in order to get pregnant and when you're talking about that impact on fertility it's really quite a concern yeah so complicating all this is there's a lot we don't know obviously all the studies can measure weight easily Mm -hmm. So they can show that weight itself is related to fertility. But again, if you think someone who is not in the best health and larger, it may be it's affecting their fertility. We don't know. But 
the point yeah. is that between the cultural focus on weight and that there does seem to be some possibly some relationship between fat tissue and fertility it just yeah. all drives the focus on weight and then you get the stigma mm. and discrimination side of it where well, that's pretty you don't deserve treatment unless you lose weight and that's where we get things like IVF clinics which are that's supposedly right. there for women who are having trouble getting pregnant yes. being turned away if they're having trouble being pregnant because of body yes size. yes that's quite true just a so, weirdness. Yeah, and it's all based on the BMI. Well, the mm. problem with this is that often women with peacocks are naturally heavier on the scales, larger women, and most of them will look at you and they know that, no, I'm not meant to be 60 kilos. I'm naturally around 80 or 90. Mm. Mm. Or I'm, I'm only unhealthy once I'm over 110 or 120. But And when you look at them, they look like good, strong women. But Studies are never really going to show this because, as I said, women with PCOS can be any shape and size. Oh. So I can't produce the evidence that some women do naturally have a larger BMI for you. Oh, but there doesn't need to be any evidence because what we're talking about is just human diversity, regardless exactly. of whether or not it's PCOS and that's why exactly. a woman we're allowed to be bigger and just to have yeah. a, an arbitrary, well, pass this number, do not deserve treatment, that is discrimination. Totally. Exactly. Makes me so angry. I know. So (laughs) times like pregnancy and fertility services, there's a lot of stigma and discrimination around body weight, Mm. shape and size. And menopause. Some people often who say, Oh, it's in who are very caring about Mm. women and just don't want them to be an anesthetic risk or things like that. But really it's an, people don't understand their own issues with fat tissue. It's rampant, and we know yeah. it's rampant in the entire medical profession, but in women's yep. health it seems to be even more scrutinised. Yeah. In spite of the evidence that shows yep. that long-term weight loss isn't even going to work for people without PCOS, let alone exactly. people with PCOS. Yep. So when it comes to the discussion about weight... I'm already starting to help people to understand that their health behaviours are separate to their weight mm-hmm. and that the outcomes are in are separate as well. Yeah, that separation is very important yeah. and it's so wrapped up because yep. everyone thinks that health and weight are the same. Exactly. Mm. And people need a lot of understand, time and understanding about that. Mm-hmm. But then my first question around that is usually, well, what's your own theory? about Mm. your body and weight and tell me about your experiences and so forth. Mm. Mm. We can't discount women's wish to lose weight. Yeah. So we have to be sympathetic to that as well. Yeah. And be willing to sit with that while we help them balance it all out for themselves. Yeah. So you can imagine what it's like if your relationship, your ability to have babies, you know, is all dependent according to everybody in the world and you're losing weight. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So so you can't expect people just to say, okay, I'll put that idea aside. Oh, look, Terrell says it's not true, so that's great. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing we need to do as well is not put people all in the same boxes. Mm. So some large women with PCOS, they just want education and they're fine. Yeah. They're actually okay with their body and they know how to, they can make decisions and decide on their choices. Yeah. 
other women are a lot more vulnerable and have complicated histories. And sometimes women will decide to try something short term because that's what they decide to do. Yeah. But in that case, I talk to them about the difference and risks of short term versus longer term and how they would imagine this working together. Yeah, yeah. It's informed consent, isn't it? It It has to become informed consent. Yeah, yeah. So people are aware of all of the pros and the cons in the short term and the long term. And then it's up to them to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. But you also talk about, you know, poor nutrition also reduces your fertility. So yeah, like starving yourself. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And the bottom line is really, what are they going to do anyway, if they've already done every diet? I know. Oh, there's always another one. <laughs> there's always another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the Picos diet and it's, you know, that's it. five yeah. times more expensive than the others. So yeah. this one must be the exactly. one that will work. Yeah. What I notice is when women are working the process through, they eventually come to the conclusion that I'm doing this for me and my long-term health. Mm. It's not just about pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, the focus focus on fertility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a really empowering way to look at it. Yeah, so I would tend to prioritize it like that, and then I would screen for things like body image and dieting and eating disorders. Yeah, which is overlooked in so many offices. Yes, but it just comes with this territory. Yeah, of course it does. So it sounds like what you're saying is that there's a lot of ways that you can look after your body and improve the symptoms of PCOS without even touching on the weight stuff. Absolutely. And even if you were going to touch on the weight stuff, what else are you going to do other than what the other stuff you're already doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What I do talk about is that a lot of women can't really do the sort of mindful, intuitive eating until their hormones are more stable. Oh, good point. Yeah, if the appetite appetite is really unregulated, then it's too difficult. Yeah, and that can be tricky to pick up, right? If like how to know if your appetite is, you know, up and down or is it pretty? Yeah, you develop that understanding over time. Mm. But women can still start to identify their own style of taste and food and Mm. preference. Mm. it's so individual anyway isn't it no one person is the same as the other that's right yeah so going in and tuning in and looking at it yeah fantastic yeah yeah so I talk about using enough protein to actually and and fats to satisfy you when you eat yeah using sort of more high fiber foods I don't use low GI a lot but a little bit of that Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah, so you're as the dietitian, you're providing like that information and education, and yeah. then the client is going home and using their body as yeah. a marker. Yeah, and yeah. so we talk about well, what are our out markers of, mm. of moving forwards? So that's mm. not the scales, that's all the other things. And what's really good is often people know that once they, as soon as they really stabilize their eating, they get some relief from yeah. particularly the mood, tired things and the appetite and so forth. So they get a bit of feedback back that this is helping. They mm-hmm. feel better. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Feeling better isn't really asked about. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the outcomes of PCOS is did she get pregnant or, you know, yeah. 
is the hair problem reduced, uh-huh. but not like how is this person feeling? feeling. Yeah, exactly. And treating herself. Exactly. Yeah. So Sorry. you're ultimately helping the person to live with them, their body and their health mm-hmm. in a way that's not harmful or going to get them into trouble or, or taking over their life. Living with it, isn't it? Because um, yeah. is PCOS curable? Is there such it's a thing? It's just a lifetime tendency. Yeah. If yeah. someone, if so, at times the symptoms, someone may be, for whatever reason, a bit healthier at some times than other times and the symptoms yeah. may be less or, mm. or the symptoms, some symptoms turn up and then later on other symptoms turn up. Yeah. Yeah, so if we're framing it as this is just how my body operates. This is my body and Mm. how it operates, yeah. Yeah. But that Uh, doesn't mean you don't need treatment for some of it. Yeah, or that you can't really affect it hugely by changing how you're looking after it. Exactly. But I think women often get that thing of, well, you know, you can kind of cure it if you lose enough weight and that's also bullshit. So Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So, so much bullshit to... To sort yep. of trawl through. I mean, gosh, being a woman is hard and women's health yep. is hard. Yep. And like even if you're in good female health, it's hard. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but but when, you when know, female health, you know, isn't great, then then yeah. you run into all this. So for everyone who whinges about their periods, imagine what it would mean to you if you didn't have periods in terms of femininity <laughs> and being a woman and fertility and Oh, God, so much identity stuff. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's very full on. So um, that stuff is just as important as anything else. Yeah. You must have the best discussions with your clients. Oh, it's great. I'm <laughs> the only dietitian in town who gets an email saying, I got my period. And <laughs> 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 celebrating that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. Yeah. We need more dietitians out there and health professionals who work with PCOS because you do training with health professionals on this. And yes. I think, yeah, uh, I think it's wonderful that you're out there. Yeah. You know, spreading something that's not just about, you know, how to lose yeah. weight. Well, it's a positive area. Women, you can give something really positive to people. Mm. And we live in a difficult culture that needs lots of untangling. Oh, yeah, yeah, look, shitloads of it. So, but here you are at the forefront of <laughs> untangling the ovarian diet culture. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. There'll be a new superfood next week. <laughs> Although I'm sure Pete Evans will fix it soon, but in the totally. meantime. <laughs> there's there's a lots of things that women can do. It's just they need to get the basics right first and then it's <sighs> oh, really shit. informed consent stuff that's the thing right it just shouldn't be this bloody hard just to know what's going on in our own bodies yeah that's right mm, that's great well thank you for a f- I've, I have learned a lot tonight <laughs> I love a chance to rave on about it so thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks for all the awesome stuff you do and for changing the world like one woman at a time right it's just fantastic so thank you thank you very much Oh my goodness. I could have talked to Terrell like all day. It was just such a fascinating conversation. So thank you again, Terrell, for joining us and talking to us about such an important topic. And I really don't think this will be the last time we talk about women's health and women's health issues on the podcast. Absolutely not. Because 
there is a lot of injustice happening and a lot of women are just being told to simply lose weight and everything will magically go away. And as, we, as we've heard from Terrell, it's actually a lot more complicated than that, a lot more gloriously complicated. So if you'd like to find out more about Terrell and what she does, she is a dietitian. She's based in Victoria in Australia and she has a website. So it's terrellbrewer.com, T-E-R-R-I-L-L-B-R-U-E-R-E.com. So go to her website and find out more about her and all the wonderful work that she does. So that's it for another week from us. Thank you so much, everybody, for continuing to throw your support and passion behind this podcast. I just love getting all of your emails and messages and feedback from the different podcasts that we put on. And I love hearing your outrage. So if something's really getting up your nose and you want to get it off your chest, email me, louise at untrapped.com.au. Tell me what's bugging you and we'll see if we can perhaps do something awesome about it. And if you're loving the All Fired Up podcast, don't miss a single episode. Make sure you're subscribed. So go to iTunes and press subscribe so you don't miss any episodes as they come down. And if you have time and you're feeling particularly loving, give us a really nice rating and review of five stars because when people do that, our ranking goes up and that means that more people get to hear us and our message. And if you want just some more information about the whole kind of anti-diet approach and the science behind it, there's an ebook that you can get that's completely free and it's on the Untrapped website. So untrapped.com.au and a little pop-up will appear and our ebook is there. It's called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit. And I wrote it alongside the fabulous Fiona Willer, the research ninja and non-diet warrior from Health Not Diets. So it's really a fantastic resource just for your own personal uh, use. Or if you're a health professional, you're quite welcome to share it with your clients. Sometimes I give it to clients to give to their health professionals, their GPs, etc., their personal trainers, just to spread the message about just how much science there is behind this approach because people can sometimes get a little bit worried and think it's a little bit extreme, which always makes me laugh when we're living in a culture that cuts up people's stomachs but thinks that what we do is extreme. But that's another rant. So the ebook is there on untrapped.com.au and also on untrapped.com.au there is my blog which I'm doing weekly. So it's just me ranting, raving, thinking about various issues but it's there and you can read all about various other issues that don't come up on the podcast but are related to everything that we chat about here. And of course, if you're struggling with any of the issues that are being talked about on Untrapped, if you think that your relationship with food has been really destroyed by diet culture, or if your relationship with exercise or your body has been impacted, and let's face it, who doesn't it impact? <laughs> and you want some help because it's really quite difficult to find peace in diet culture with food. And it's difficult to find peace with our bodies, particularly in diet culture. So that's why I designed Untrapped alongside all the other amazing health professionals who helped me build it because that's what we do. We see people every day who are kind of diet culture casualties and we help you learn all of these wonderful strategies and steps to let go and to embrace weight neutral, empowering self-care. And it's just a lovely thing to see. So it's here for you as a resource as well at untrapped.com.au. So that really is everything, I think. And I can't wait to chat with you again in a couple of weeks. So in the meantime, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. <laughs>